0: Hey there, podcast listeners, Pastor Brian, and in today's episode, we're going to be going through the third module on one of those discipleship tracks at PursueGod.org, so I encourage you to go on over to that website, scroll down until you see discipleship tracks, and pick one of them. They're all called The Pursuit, but you'll notice that we have several different editions, and in today's conversation, I talked about this with my fighter pilot small group. We're going through some training as they're getting ready to disciple people in their own lives. And so we use the military edition, but you can use any one of the editions because every single edition of our Discipleship Tracks has this this third um, module, which represents how to honor God in your life. And so the whole idea here is if you're discipling someone and they're already a Christian, or maybe you led them to faith in that second module that's all about helping them trust Jesus, Now it's your job to help them get to the next thing. You know, the second arrow in what we consider a pursuit of God, which is helping the person that they're discipling to live a God-honoring life and lifestyle. So that has to do with spiritual disciplines and choices and everything. And so that's what today's conversation is all about. Now again, this is a training topic. And so this is great for anyone out there who wants to become a disciple maker. I hope you enjoy it as you listen in. Uh, on our conversation with my fighter pilot guys and then also remember check it out and so much more at pursue org. all right so uh let's why don't we just start with kind of first impressions with with this conversation about the second arrow in the circle honoring god what what's what jumped out at you in this one
1: I mean, that's kind of what traditional okay. church like all the traditional church and community groups are all about living to honor God. And mm. just that's where we I think we tend to anchor as a community of believers is studying the Bible, figuring out how, you know, we can honor God. That that's what we went through the last year in our Bible study was just how to live in Christian community in a way that honors God and builds builds each other up
2: so for me the thing that jumped out was the ezekiel verse actually Hmm. the stony heart concept so it's tough for me because like relationships are arguably you know besides your relationship with christ the number one thing you're supposed to do discipleship relationships all that kind of stuff And I don't know that I felt like any sort of a change, you know, in my heart, I feel like I have to Mm. constantly struggle to want to care about other people. It kind of sounds maybe a little harsh, but it's sort of true. You know, Um, I guess I feel like I still have a little bit of a stony
3: heart.
0: Because because you're sort of wired that way,
2: Alex? A little bit, yeah. I mean, like I certainly wanna like people who are going in the same direction as me, I love to invest in them. But the people mm-hmm. who aren't going in the same direction in me, it's real hard for me to want to invest in them. Yeah.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. Our sermon today, we started a new series on relationships. And the first the first lesson was we actually used John the Baptist as an example and how he was willing to in, he was willing to invest in Herod, even though he had nothing to gain from it, like he spoke the truth to Herod because, because Jesus loves Herod, you know, even someone like even, even such a wicked, cruel person like that. and um, you know, just, just what you're saying, Alex, that as followers of Jesus, we should care about people.. <clears throat> That's good. That's good for you to acknowledge that and recognize that, that that's on your radar, that that's an area of your life that you need to still maybe sanctify, right? Give over to Jesus. Yeah. Yeah, we'll dig into that passage a little bit more here. Any
3: other kind of first impressions from the topic, just kind of big picture before we drill down a little bit? All right, so let's look, at this, let's look at this first point
0: about the Holy Spirit, because I want to I make sure that we understand what that means, not just for ourselves, but even just as we disciple our kids and disciple the people that we're investing in in our lives. Um, explain this first point. Try to put this first, somebody try to put this first point in your own words.
3: What are we getting at when we're talking about the Spirit leading from the inside out?
4: Um, so one of the additional topics that I watched was, uh, living worthy of Christ. Mm-hmm. And, um, the speaker mentioned that when we became Christians, uh, which in this video, he was talking about starts by faith. You know, we have a new identity, mm-hmm. um, but that is just a starting point. It takes a lot of, um, re fashioning of our of our heart and our desires and our cares and all of that to actually live that identity out in a lifestyle um, uh, that is bringing the kingdom of Christ here mm. um, so I think. The identity is there. It's just everything we're doing now is preparing for eternity. And I guess that goes along with the video we talked about I think it was the last time before the end of the year where it shows like the timeline and how what we're doing now is just a smidgen
3: mm-hmm.
4: of what's yeah, to come. Yeah, the red. Yeah, the red.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: yeah. So Dan in this in Ezekiel 36, does this does this speak does does this speak at all to the timing of this? new heart and new action, right? Because you're saying that it's, that, it's a, that it's a process. Is that mm-hmm. a good word for what you're describing? Yep. Uh, like, how would you answer that to somebody who's maybe on the journey? You know, a new believer who maybe, let's say, has a porn addiction and now he's a Christian. And he comes to you two, you know, two weeks in after the honeymoon, you know, the Christian faith honeymoon. And he says, hey, I wanted to, I wanted
4: to click on porn again. What, Mm -hmm. what gives? Mm -hmm. How would you answer that? Well, I mean, the temptation is always there. It's just what you choose to do with the temptation because Jesus was tempted, you know, multiple times, but use the word of God to defend himself against that Mm -hmm. and he's trusted in the spirit to help him with those temptations. So it's uh, not living as if we're still guilty, but rather that we have the power to overcome that. Mm. Okay. So I'm going
0: to play devil's advocate. So I'm looking at this passage with you guys, and I'm saying, but look, it says that God gave me a new, kind of like what Alex is saying, it says that God gave me a new heart. I don't feel like that's true in this area of my life, right, with my love for people or
3: with a porn addiction or whatever, right? Mm -hmm. How would you respond to that? Like, did he do it already, or is he going to do it? What What's the timing of all that?
2: Yeah, it's like any any muscle; it has to be exercised. It's mm-hmm. good. So it's uh, it's a spiritual discipline. It's a fight over time,
5: mm-hmm.
2: and I guess to like either myself or the the porn guy, you know, it's. There's a big difference between sinning and uh, not caring and then uh, repentance
5: mm-hmm. in
2: you, your your heart has now been changed or tenderized, I guess, to the point where you're actually feeling bad because you're sinning against, you know, God, your, your savior. So mm-hmm. if you're constantly at least got the repentance side of it and then you're choosing to do it less and less than over time, that's a big difference between just not caring whatsoever.
5: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, and and I think to me that really, you know, jump over to topic eight just real quick. In this particular discipleship track, the one about the battle between the the, the old nature and the new nature. And that's really what I think what this topic is getting at is there's a battle. It's not, and I think this is so important for all of us to understand, not just in our own lives, but then as we try to disciple other people. That if if you go into it with a a naive expectation that, hey, I'm a Christian now, I've got a new heart, and that means, you know, God purged me of all my old ways, my old thoughts, right, my old desires, I won't have to worry about any of those anymore. I think Galatians 5 really addresses that, right? Let's look at that just real quick, because somebody read... Uh, maybe, maybe chill, read this, Galatians 5, if you can see that, 16, 16 and 17, because I think this really, in part, answers the question. I think Paul, does, Paul spends a lot of time answering this question in Galatians and Romans and a lot of his letters. Go ahead and read that for us.
6: Galatians 5, 16 and 17 says, So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives, and you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are the opposite. So
0: let me ask you guys kind of a, a little bit of a doctrinal question. Is, is Paul talking about what happens in the life of a Christian here? Or is he
3: talking about what happens in the life of a non-Christian?
1: I would no say, No matter whether you're a Christian or not, you always have the flesh the world and the devil that's at war against you so you the war is won but the individual battles still have to be fought day to day
2: i would say it's a christian only because i guess doctrinally the holy spirit does not exist inside you until you've accepted christ
0: yeah that's right i think that's you're right on he's definitely talking to I mean, it's Ranger, it's true what you said that it's the, the, sinful, the sinful nature is a thing for believer and non believer, but the Holy Spirit in you is not a thing for a non believer, right? right? And I think this is something I didn't even understand in my early life as a Christian is I thought that God, that when God gave me a new nature, that the sinful nature would have no play in my life anymore. And I think it's important to understand this concept, again, not just for ourselves, but for anyone we're discipling. What is verse 17 telling us? Is, is the sinful nature still a thing in the life of a Christian who has the Holy Spirit living in him?
6: Yes.
3: Yes.
1: Yeah. The God also says he puts in a, you know, he takes out the old heart and puts in the new heart, but there's still sin in the equation.
6: The new heart is what tells the guy with the porn addiction to stop or to go to someone with help and ask these questions. That's the Holy Spirit in him kind of working its way out to ask questions with that new tender heart and, you know, seek help.
1: But you still have choices and you can you can choose not to listen to the Holy Spirit, even if you are a believer. Mm-hmm. And that's why it's a daily, uh, I was in Matthew this week, Matthew 16. Uh, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. So, so it's a daily choice to trust and surrender.
5: Yeah, that's good.
0: So so, does, so how does this work? Verse 17, is, is, the, is the sinful nature coexisting inside of me? How would, you, how would you answer that? You know, because it, it, the Bible says we have a new nature, right? But then, so verse 17 could be confusing because it says the sinful nature wants to do evil. And I, I, my initial reaction is, well, why do, I don't have that anymore, right? I don't have the sinful nature. I have a new nature, right? Again, go back to, go back to uh, Ezekiel 36. Let, let, me, let me bring that one up again. So Ezekiel 30, let's kind of compare those two verses. Ezekiel 36, this is a promise in the Old Testament. I'm going to give you a new heart, and I'm going to put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart, which if you think of that as your sinful nature, he says, I'm going to take it out. It's a, it's a sinful naturectomy, right? And I'm going to give you a tender, responsive heart. And I will put my spirit in you, so that you will follow my decrees and be careful to obey my regulations. Okay, so when I read that, it makes me feel like maybe the, when, I, when we became Christians, when we trusted Jesus for salvation, God gave us his Holy Spirit, and it replaced our sinful nature.
6: What do I, don't you know think? Re- I don't know if it replaced our sinful nature or if it just replaced our stony, stubborn heart. that didn't mm. give a rip, you know. It doesn't say that our sinful nature is gone. It's Mm -hmm. clearly not, because my sinful nature is still here. Um, But it's our response to it, our our outlook to it, is what I think changes. Mm -hmm.
1: When you get the Spirit within you, you now have a choice by which which Spirit are you going to follow? Because Mm -hmm. it says in Galatians five, it says, "Walk by the Spirit." He's saying, make the choice to walk by the Spirit. It's not a given that you will. Yeah, that's good. You'll have to choose which Spirit you're going to follow.
0: That's good. I think that's a good way to say it. And that's really where this the battle topic ends, where that one lands, is it it talks about that that you have to make a decision to walk by the Spirit. Like, the way I like to say it to new believers and old believers alike is, when it comes to truth one in the circle, you don't participate with God. He saves you purely by grace through faith. You have zero percent to do with that. But when it comes to truth two, right? when it comes to honoring God in your life, you participate with Him in that. And, that, and that, again, Paul's language is, you, you know, verse 25, since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Again, the implication is we get to choose whether to follow the Spirit's leading. We can follow the sinful natures, you know, leading in our lives or where it's tempting us, or we can follow the Holy Spirit's leading. In other words, the Spirit in us, to get back to uh, topic seven, the Spirit in us leading from the inside out is not a guarantee that we're going to make the right choice every time, is it?
6: No. No. Cause we have to follow.
4: Yeah. Yeah. And I think that goes back to, you know, more than <clears throat> God wanting us to just be robots who mm-hmm. worship. Like he wants us to want to follow him. And so this whole process that we go through after accepting Christ, I think is getting us to that point. And I was actually, Looking at that same verse that Ranger was talking about in Matthew 16, but like a few verses earlier, um, when Jesus is talking about his death, Peter is saying, uh, God forbid it, this uh, shall never happen to you. And Jesus says, Get behind me, Satan. And I think that, you know, that kind of is the same for us to pick up our cross daily is like satan is trying to get us not to pick us pick up our cross and you know nail our flesh and our fleshly desires to the cross. Mhm. Yeah. Yeah, right. He wants us to follow those. He's
0: like yeah, Do that instead. One other question about this first point before we move on to the bible point. Uh, what somebody try to articulate the whole idea of the spirit empowerment versus
3: willpower. We're like, why is that important? Why is that an important distinction?
2: It's the desire, it gets to the desire of your heart, I guess. So like a person who's not a Christian probably isn't going to try to not do bad things just because of right and wrong and the concept of society, but they're just doing it because, you know, they don't, they're just trying to succeed and be a good person type of thing. But the idea is that we're changing our heart over time to where that's not even a, I know one. am so I guess the, the desire, what the spirit is doing, is removing the need for a filter, whereas what most people are doing is they're just trying to have all these filters in their lives where bad behavior doesn't come out. But is that, is that a wrong strategy? I mean, I think you can only filter your behavior so much. Like mm-hmm. we're, we have a sinful nature, like we've all fallen short of the glory of God. It's gonna mm-hmm. come out eventually, you're gonna screw up. But if you can change your heart mindset, then less need for a filter, I guess. Mm-hmm. I don't know. There's a lot of things with addiction
1: where you absolutely, like, you can have the spirit working in you, but you need safeguards and filters and to not put yourself where the temptation is going to be more significant.
0: What? What if? If it was a pie? Okay, we've got. We, let's do a pie chart in our minds here, right? What what percentage of the pie, when it comes to honoring God, what percentage of the pie is the Spirit's work in us, and what percentage of it is our choice, our, you know what I'm saying, like our volition, our action?
2: I mean, I wish it, I wish it was more the Spirit than it is. Unfortunately, I feel like it's 50-50, kind of.
1: Mm. I think it's 50 50 in that every bit of my willpower needs to be in surrendering to the spirit and anything good that I do will then be the spirit working. So it's a hundred percent of the spirit doing good. And a hundred percent of me trying to not be me just to be a servant. Could
3: it
0: be, could it be, Eighty-twenty, where it's eighty percent my willpower and twenty percent the spirit helping me. If I'm a if I'm a good person, quote unquote.
1: Are you talking as a believer or as an unbeliever?
0: I mean, yeah, as a believer. As a believer, so let's say that you lead you disciple somebody and they're they're a they're a solid moral person, right? Just for sake of argument, okay. So now you're covering this topic with them and they're like, yeah, okay. I could see this verse saying God did a little bit in my heart. I didn't really need that much done though. But I didn't, there was, there was about 20% that I needed done here. And, uh, and yeah, I I do notice it's a little easier now for me to not kick my dog. (laughs) How would you respond to
1: that? Is that is well, that the
0: right is that the essence of what Ezekiel's talking about and what Galatians five is talking about?
1: I mean, if you look at Paul's life, he starts out as the least of the apostles, mm-hmm. and then he's the least of the saints. And then by the end, I think it's in Timothy, he's the least of sinners. Like he's the biggest sinner that he knows. Right. And and until you get to that perspective that if you're by yourself doing things, it's not going to be good for God's kingdom or God's purpose or his glory. If it's just you trying to will yourself into doing good, it's going to fail hmm. versus if you see your sin in, in the perspective of a holy God and completely, you know, abandon yourself to his, his purposes and his, you know, leading spirit, then I'd say you've got the wrong perspective of sin if you if you don't think you were you know the spirit did that much in your in your heart.
0: Yeah, I think that's good because think about it. When when what percentage of the pie is it for truth one? That Jesus does. One hundred percent. One hundred percent right? There's no, no, nobody would debate that. It's 100%. Another way to say that is we're saved purely by grace. Grace means gift. It is purely, purely a gift. The fact that we could be in Christ, the fact that we can trust Jesus is purely 100% a gift. How much of it is a gift when we honor God in our lives? That's another way to ask my question. Because you see, what it's sort of leaning toward is, we, we could, if we're not careful, we could, we could, we could move from truth one, saved by grace, to truth two, that we live by works. And what's the danger if we get to that point? Legalism. Legalism. Works-based righteousness. Right. And so I think this is an important question. You know, I just said we participate with God in truth two, but we don't participate in truth one. And so I think it's, it really bears, trying to clarify in our minds, okay, so what is this, what does Ezekiel 36 mean? And when I read this, I, what I read in this is that, that we actually honor God by grace as well. Right? He's, he's gifting us a new heart. He's gifting us a new spirit. It's not like we're saved in truth one, and then in truth two, we work really hard on the outside to be a good person. Now what happens is when we're saved in a moment, he makes us new, he puts his new spirit in us. I mean, verse 26 is really the, the fruit of a truth of, a, of putting your faith in Christ, right? that this promise, we understand this promise to be to those who put their faith in Christ. So, anyone who puts their faith in Christ is given instantaneously a new spirit. So, it's almost like one, I know we, we break it into three arrows in a circle, but it's really kind of almost just one thing. I think the, the more mature we are in faith in Christ, the more we realize it's all one integrated thing. Like it's not, the lines get blurred from between truth one and truth two and even truth three is it's just this, this, this whole, authentic, um, sanctified, saved life, and all of it is gift, really. But that's not to say we don't participate in honoring God, and we don't walk by the Spirit, and we don't make choices. But I think we need to be careful in our own minds, and also with the people that we're discipling, not to lead them to think that they can pat themselves on the back for overcoming their porn addiction or for, you know, being a better husband or for loving people more. I think even that we need to say, we need to look at Ezekiel 36. Thank you, Jesus, that you did this for me, that you took out this stubborn heart that's in me and, you, and you're doing it more and more every day. You're renewing me every day. Any other questions or thoughts about that before we move on to the second leg in the stool?
1: I don't know. To me, it always, I have to think of it as there's no such thing as neutral. You know, you get to a point in your your Christian walk and you're like, "Um, I'm good. I'll just keep doing what I'm doing. But if you're not actively pursuing God, then you're like actively moving away from him. There's no like staying where you were. You're either moving forward or slipping backwards.
5: Yeah. It's good,
1: and so I think that's you know Philippians says, "Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, like there's a constant work and investment and in changing habits and behaviors all by his grace, but also like our participation.
5: Hmm. yeah,
0: you know Romans seven is another example of that, right, where Paul talks about he wants to do the right thing, but he ends up doing the wrong thing, and the thing he doesn't want to do. And in my mind, is he's, he's, that's an illustration of, the, of this principle that there is this battle and that we do. We need to continually make choices to walk by the Spirit. But I, it's interesting he doesn't say continually make choices to let, you know, uh, let's see, to let, to increase your willpower or something like that. It's the language is all spirit language. It's the Spirit is the power. And the Spirit is God, right? It's the Holy Spirit. So what we're basically saying is God is the one who's doing this in our lives. It's not us, but we have to participate. So it's good to remember that. Okay, so honoring God is like a three-legged stool, right? So the first thing is that you have to let the Spirit lead you from the inside out. I would actually contend that that is the most important thing, and that's why we put that first. Some people might think this next thing is the most important thing. I personally believe God himself is the more important active agent in us honoring God, even than the Word. Now, the Word is from God, but, it, but we could have the Word, and without the Holy Spirit empowering us to be obedient to it, it, that wouldn't matter, right? So we move on to the second leg of the stool, and it's the Bible. So somebody help unpack this. If the spirit leads us from the inside out, what is the Bible's role in our lives when it comes
3: to honoring God?
2: I think it's it's kind of like, um, it has the same role as church in many ways. So it is, I look at the Bible as inspiration. Like I'm gonna read that and be inspired to honor God in a different way or look at discipleship in a different way. Mm. Unfortunately, my stony heart tends to like glom onto all the doctrine and history stuff. Uh, <laughs> but I'd like to look at the Bible and church's inspiration to then go develop relationships, you know, that spur from the inspiration. But yeah, it's not just a textbook. It, it's, it should inspire
3: me to action. I guess. Mm-hmm. 2 Timothy 3.16, what does it say that Scripture
0: does for us? Let's kind of break that verse down for a second. What it, it Just kind of
3: in this passage, let's exegete it just real quickly. What does it do?
4: It's good for teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness so that man of God may be adequate and equipped for good, every good work.
3: Okay, so what is the,
0: have you ever thought about maybe the distinction between those things, teaching us,
3: training us, correcting us? Can you
0: give an example of that? Anyone want to give an example of that in your own life? When, When you were reading scripture and it reproved you, it corrected you. Or in the NLT, it made you realize what was wrong in your life. Has that ever has that ever happened to anybody?
2: Yeah. <laughs> so for, for me, uh, like I've struggled with all the standard vices, you know, that most guys struggle with. Uh, so there was that, but I always knew that was, you know, kind of wrong, but. This whole concept of like caring about people. So after you read Jesus with the tax collectors, Jesus with the prostitutes, like for me, caring about any one of you guys on the screen is super easy. We think the same. We act the same. It's not a problem. Caring about my wife or family, super easy. But the second I see a person who probably doesn't pay their taxes and sucks more out of society than they give, like I don't care, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, like scripture kind of did the reprieve there for me. And then, so now Katie is my, uh, barometer for that. Mm-hmm. she's like, Hey, that person looks like somebody you wouldn't like, why don't you do something about it?
0: <laughs> wow. Yeah. Yeah. So Alex in your life, has that like been a, has that been a process for you that maybe over the years, as you're reading the word on a regular basis, you're reading those things and then, you're feeling conviction about it
2: oh yeah totally uh and then just my own i guess evolution of being able to deal with it like there's a couple guys at church and they're nice guys but they're just so um you know just so like kind of dorky and not with it and it's just so hard to deal with them right but like that, that's my mission is to make them feel like I'm I'm with them there, you know, regardless of how I feel about it initially. Mm-hmm. Or there's the homeless guy on the side of the street that is just bothering <clears throat> me because he's asking me for money and tailing us over and over and over again. My initial reaction is to be pissed mm-hmm. at that person, not to care about them in any way, shape or form.
3: Yeah. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's good. But I was with a couple of pretty high-level leaders in,
0: in a parachurch ministry a couple of years ago on the streets of Seattle, and, a, and a, a beggar came up to us asking for money. And the one guy immediately started talking to him, engaging with him, asking him about his story and how he ended up on the streets and, you know, what's going on in your life. It was so interesting to see him engage with this guy and love this guy. And he gave him like 20 bucks. And the other guy was with them, was just kind of standing there, rolling his eyes, like, come on. You know, we're like, we're, gonna, we're going to get drinks, you know. And he was like, come on, let's go. You know, let's get out of here. And this, uh, the first guy just, I mean, literally for 15 minutes, just engaging with this guy. The, the heart for this guy was pretty humbling for me to see that. Because I was kind of caught in the middle. I was like an observer, right? I was, I was observing, the. I was trying to be neutral, Ranger, to use one of your words. I was observing these guys and the two different reactions to this guy and trying to figure out where I really stood. And I was probably somewhere in between. Um, and to see them unpack it as we walked away, the, the cynical guy is like, he's just gonna go buy drugs with that. And the first guy is just like, that's not my deal. God told me to love him and I loved him. It was just so interesting to see, like, yeah, okay. Um I, I think I would I would I'd do that differently now.
3: I look at that situation differently now. How about someone answer this question? Share a teaching from the Bible
0: that surprised you when you first heard it, and did you obey it? Why or why not? Right? Because if that if the The point of God's word is it shows us, you know, if if Christians are supposed to honor God, how are we supposed to know what that even means without the Bible, right? So that means there's probably some course correction in our
3: lives that we should be able to point to because of the Bible. It's hard, hard for me to say
2: that anything surprised me in the Bible because it's all just such common sense to live a good life, or at least that's how I feel now. You mm-hmm. know? Like, Dude, I, not... felt,
6: I felt the same, Leroy. Yeah. Like Jenna my wife and I were talking about this, and she, she was able to spit some out. And I'm like, I've been taught so many things, but none mm-hmm. of them like, surprised me. So maybe it's just the technicality and the way the question's asked you know if if anything surprised you but well
0: how about let's try to answer that from the perspective of someone you might be discipling later in the year who's new to this
2: yeah so i guarantee that some point because it's already happened to me once like the topic of homosexuality and whether or not that is a sin and how Mm -hmm. christians feel about that is always a sticking point you know Yep. so that's a great that's a great example
0: like You watch, you'll start just even another Christian, you might be discipling another Christian and they'll be surprised. Even AJ, my son just told me the other day, he was reading through Romans two. He's like, dad, Romans two is, is brutal on homosexuals, you know? So like he knew he, you know, we've talked about that stuff before, but now he read it for the first time for himself and he saw it with his own eyes. He's like, wow. (laughs) You know, like, wow.
3: Yeah.
2: So that's yeah, a good I, have, I have not handled that specific topic well in the past. I think I have a good way of talking about it now, but mm-hmm. uh, it, yeah, I just haven't. That one is a, is a huge sticking point. And then I think the other one that's such a huge sticking point for most people is the spiritual discipline of tithing, which is a dumb one to have be a sticking point, but it is. Yeah. Yeah.
3: True. What, what's another thing that
0: someone might be surprised about a new believer when they're first starting
4: to get to truth? To you know, I um, <clears throat> I don't know if I was surprised to hear these verses when I first heard them, uh, but I know that obeying it has been a challenge. So in Proverbs sixteen three, it says, "Commit your works to the Lord, and your plans will be established." So I guess on the surface, or maybe not having been in Christ for a long time, that kind of sounds like, well, if I pray to God about wanting to do something, maybe that means I'll get what I want. And then later on in verse nine, it says the mind of man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I think it's just one of those topics and, you know, just the concept of reading the Bible over and over throughout your life um, where it's just making sense in different aspects. Um, But I feel like when I was first thinking of that, I just was shocked that I didn't always get what I wanted. Um, And as I've, you know, for example, moved around a lot, I've realized You know, there were a lot of reasons, um, looking back why I should have moved there and actually it turned out to be a lot better than I imagined it. And, you know, really what, um, that third verse is saying is, you know, we want to, uh, we don't just want to ask him to bless what we've already done, but, Mm. you know, um, devoting ourselves to his plan and making like his plans our own because, um, as it was with with the stony heart, you know, we're not inclined, or we don't have the nature to even um, to even want to do what 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 mm-hmm. the spirit wants. You know, do you know? Does it,
0: is that tr- is that a trickier verse to live out in your life in the military? Because when I think of that verse, I think about you know, 20 years ago when Tracy and I prayed about where we were gonna go plant a church and it was our choice, right? But, you know, Rangers waiting to find out where he has to go, like how to, in the military, how does that impact that particular, how, does, how do you live that verse out in the military or is it, or is it any different?
4: I think it might be highlighted a bit in the military specifically for where you live mm-hmm. um, and, and kind of the course you end up on. Um, but obviously it's still applicable in, in a lot of careers and a lot mm-hmm. of places. But it's, yeah, it's certainly elevated, I would think,
3: that issue.
5: Mm-hmm.
2: There's a, it's a evolution, I think, Brian. Over time, like at first, at first you like think you have some level of control of your military career, like in the first two years. Then obviously you realize you don't have much at all, and then it's all just luck and timing for whether guys are on a course or not, or you know and then you go through this like kind of the the 8 to 10 year point where you're sort of just pissed because <laughs> you have no control and then <laughs> and then guys start making decisions after that but the the where that this verse fits in is what zero said second i think which is the the scheming that that people will do in the military to mm-hmm. get the position that they want over time mm-hmm. it may not be the station but to like to keep yourself on this rocket ship career path. Yeah, that's interesting.
0: I think you could probably make an argument that you guys have—you guys are in more of a position to trust Jesus because you don't control your every move. Maybe even more than a than a guy in just in the business world.
4: Well, I think it definitely gives me a peace, you know, a lot of times after I've been a little bit childish about Mm -hmm. my might react to something, but you know, in the end, I do have Christ to come back to and be like, wow, thanks for what you're doing. And I know that there's a reason for, you know, whatever.
3: Mm -hmm.
4: Um, So I, I hope that that difference is kind of what um others see mm-hmm. so that christ is glorified yeah that's a good
0: that's a good way to think about it because you want to even in the way you handle stuff in your career is an opportunity to glorify god through it it's a good thing to remember huh range ranger <laughs>
1: Man, I I did it my own way. I planned and planned and planned and got spun up about it and realized I was no closer to making anything happen. So then I Mm. just gave up. And Mm. once you you realize and embrace that you have no control, uh, you're only free when you have no choice is a saying Mm. I have embraced. So it doesn't matter where I live. It doesn't matter what I do as long as I'm doing what God wants me to do then I can think about that instead of what I want to do. I
0: think that's kind of the essence of what Paul's getting to in Romans eight twenty eight when he says God works all things for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose is it's about because the context of that whole chapter is suffering and trials for Christians in the first century right so our, our lives are nothing compared to that and if that was true for them if if that verse was true in the context of I might be going to my death, you know, how much truer is it for us when it comes to just this, you know, a career thing that we don't have much control over? Or or luck of the draw or not luck of the draw? Or, you know, a kicker doinking the winning game-winning field goal off of the upright when he should have made it because it was only 43 yards. Anyway, I'm still getting over that in my own life tonight mm-hmm.
4: as a Bears fan but I think that's just part of, you know, this whole sense of changing our heart and Mm. and changing our desires. Um, You know, over a year ago at my church, there was a sermon um, that was about being Christ's disciples and they talked about, and I can't remember the reference off the top of my nugget, but, um, when Jesus was t- telling the disciples, like, you have to eat my flesh and drink my blood to, mm. to be saved. And, and, you know, he highlighted, uh, the pastor highlighted that that sounds crazy, mm. you know, to anybody. Like, uh, what are you talking about, Jesus? I don't know. You're acting weird. <laughs> um, you know, and that's kind of how I think sometimes we might feel about the direction things are going or the relationships we're having or when the spirit calls us to talk to somebody that we we just mm. don't feel inclined to care for but then you know they fast forward and the disciples were faithful and then they realized well he was just talking about bread and wine or you know uh as being a symbol and i i don't know i feel like that's kind of the same way sometimes as he's maybe telling us something that seems crazy only to help us um, in our yeah. desires for him. And then it turns out good, obviously. And then, yeah. And you, you think about it, he could have clarified that earlier
0: in the story, but he didn't. It, it was almost like he was, testing them you know he if you remember in that passage i think it was in john he turned to his disciples after a bunch of people left him and he said do you guys want to leave too he didn't say hey let me clear that up for you guys so that you don't think i'm a weirdo you know he said you you guys can leave too if you want and to me that's just such a fascinating story because he, want, he was testing to see if they were willing to be all in with him and see it his way rather than their way when it doesn't always make sense. And that, that's such a great example of this You know, this question about the Bible guiding us because when you're discipling someone, and it, I mean, Alex, you remember that in a small group a few years ago, that new, new, believer, new believing couple? They were at our house, and after a small group one night, one of the other Christians in the small group started talking about what the Bible says about homosexuality, and they didn't—they didn't talk about it in a very uh, like winsome way for a new believer. And uh, and I think really like like you could see it in this new believing couple that they were like freaked out. They were like, "Wait, what? The Bible says that? That that's wrong? Because their whole life they've been they you know their culture says." You're a you're a moron to think that that homosexuality is wrong, right? That's old-fashioned and ancient and big, bigoted and et cetera, et cetera. And so it was it was interesting that they that was like they were thrust into this place where they had to decide if they were if they were going to trust Jesus' perspective over their own. Um, it was an early test for them. And they passed the test, but we we tried to. Kind of kid-glove it with them for a little while to, to not freak them out too much. I mean, Jesus said those things a couple of years into his relationship with his disciples. I don't know if he would have said that like that on day one, you know? And I think we need to keep that in mind, even as we're discipling people. As they're learning, as they're reading God's word for themselves, we need to help, help them as we walk with them through some of these harder teachings, right? That mm-hmm. go against their instincts or their culture. So last thing in the trifecta, and then we're done with this topic. So again, it, this, this, this is all about living to honor God. And there are three things that help us do it. The Spirit, the Bible, and then the last thing is other believers. Right? And the whole idea is you, it's really foolish to try to live to honor God with only one or two of these three things. Like you really need all three of these things at play in your life. Does anyone want to speak to this last point on a personal note?
2: So I'll just give a minute or two and then unfortunately I have to run because I'm class B bachelor status and I got to grab the kid from the parents and put him down. But, <laughs> uh, so I, I mean, for a long time I had Christian friends, but it was just because that was the circle I ran in. It's not like we were holding each other up or holding each other accountability. Like mm-hmm. I went to a Christian school and then those were just kind of the people that were around but there wasn't purposeful in any way. And then you like get into the military and all of the military chapels and officers Christian fellowship, at least that I was a part of was, was mostly a a joke. And so Mm -hmm. I didn't have anything close to like what the verse was talking about. And it wasn't until kind of Utah. And then, you know, times after that, that it changed a little bit. And I'm still bad about having like a peer peer-to-peer relationship that is accountable. I have a couple mentors who are real great about this part of the thing, but I'm not great at the like peer-to-peer thing. But one thing has helped me out is being a small group leader. Like I feel extremely accountable to Mm. people in my group um, more so than I ever did before. So yeah, there's the build you up. There's the go through life together, which I absolutely think is important. But the biggest thing for me has been accountability, I think, mm. of, other, of other believers. That's also just because I operate by guilt. <laughs> Has anyone ever had it
0: happen to them where someone kind of called them out on sin? Like it says in this verse, if another believer, Galatians 6, is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. Have you ever done that for someone or has someone ever done that for you?
7: What's well, marriage for, right? <laughs> That's
0: just what I was going to say. <laughs> yeah,
7: it's true. I mean, I've, I've actually had a scenario where someone that was probably a non-believer called me out in a work situation, but then I processed through it from a spiritual perspective with a mentor of mine. Hmm.
0: What Did you receive it right away or no? I,
3: mean,
0: I was humbled
7: right away. I was, you know, humbled and humiliated. And then after a week of venting and reflecting and, um, you know, just coming to terms with my own sin that I was ignorant hmm. of, Mm. worked itself out.
0: And to me, that gets back to that the verse from the Spirit verse in Ezekiel. You know, God promises, I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. I think that's a large part of what he's talking about, is you're being responsive toward those times in your life when you're called out, when you're corrected, when when another brother or sister or your wife or whatever just kind of challenges you on your action or your attitude. And, you know, if this if we let the spirit lead us, then we have a tender, responsive heart rather than kind of that typical heart that guys have, well, that any human has, but especially a guy has, that kind of puts up the wall and, and we want to sweep it under the rug or whatever, right? In my own life, my wife, before she was my wife, I probably have shared this with you guys before, but when we were still engaged, she called me out on my perspective on drinking. Because I kind of was raised in a legalistic, a little bit more of a legalistic church culture. And so basically, I thought if you had a beer, you were sinning. Um, I wouldn't have said it like that. But I think in my heart, that's what I really believed. And she could sense that and uh and she just she called me out on it and she did it gently and humbly which i'm help i'm glad for um but i i kind of had to look in the mirror and look at scripture and be honest and and say you know she's right it doesn't say you can't have a drink it says you can't get drunk and um and so that was kind of a turning point in my that was that would have been one of my answers to when something surprised you in scripture you know i was that was
3: surprising to me to Be honest about that. Any other
0: examples of a time when another believer helped you onto the right path? We'll finish with that. Anyone wanna finish with a story? How would you do it if you're discipling someone and you're going through this topic with them and they, they look at you and they say, Jason, is there something in my life that doesn't honor God? You know, I don't really know the Bible yet. You know me. You know my life. Is there, can, you, can you give me a quick little, um, can we read ahead a little bit? Right? What would you say to that? I mean, obviously this is, we don't have anyone in particular in mind, but let's just say it's a typical person who's probably living with a girlfriend or, you know, sleeping around or whatever. Would you, would you call them out on that?
6: I mean, I would probably, I think it's better if they are the person that comes up with it. So I would just maybe ask some additional questions to get their gears turning so that they were the ones that came up with the answer and then I could would attempt to try to help them with that or set up some sort of plan on how to overcome that yeah that's good instead of just and, and unless there was something that was just so glaring you know, yeah let kind of say like well man you know now that, since we're talking about it you know I think this might be an area that you could maybe potentially start in or Take a look
2: at. Yep. Hey, dudes. I apologize. I got a bounce. Have a great night. Good night, Alex. Yeah.
3: See you.
6: Sure.
0: yeah, Jason. In my life, I've I've had to do that at least twice. Where in two premarriage uh, situations, we led we led the couples to faith before they got married. So we did it in the course of our premarital counseling, which is awesome, by the way, to offer to do to do premarital mentoring with a couple. Uh, that's a really good way to start discipling someone else with your spouse. Um, But be forewarned that if they come to faith before they get married, you're going to have that awkward conversation because they're almost guaranteed to be sleeping with each other, right? I mean, because why not? Why wouldn't you in today's culture? And so then that, that you had kind of have to make that decision, are we gonna bring this up or not? And Tracy and I two different times we've talked about that. We're like, and we it was actually on this very topic, the honoring God topic, that we were do we were doing that. So we led them to faith in the trusting Jesus topic, topic six from last week. And then we and then we got to the honoring God topic, and they asked us point blank, we weren't even gonna bring it up because they were like a month away from getting married, and we were just like, you know what? You know. Like, why even bring it? Let's just, you know, let's just ride this thing out. And uh, and the 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 wife-to-be, she said, "Is there so is there something in our lives that you guys would say that we need to do better at honoring God in? And Tracy and I looked at each other and we were like... Who opened their mouth first? I did. You know I did. <laughs> um, well, now that you bring it up, I said, you know, and so I said, God's word says that that sex is something that should should be reserved for the marriage bed. Like that's a principle from God's word. You know, our culture doesn't believe that, but that's 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 what God's word says. And Tracy and I made that commitment when we were engaged, and uh, and so that's one area that I might highlight. And she hit him on the chest. She like physically like hit him on the chest. She said, "I told you. I knew it. I knew we weren't supposed to be doing that." It was really funny. <laughs> So you know, they had a month to go. We just said, you know, this is back to the gently and humbly thing. We just we just said, hey, here's what we would encourage you to do. Make a commitment for this last month, like not to, not to be intimate anymore until your wedding night. You know, God, God gets it. He's not mad at you. You shouldn't feel guilty about it. But we want to challenge you to make that commitment. Can you do that? And they did. They both made that commitment. It was really cool. Um, it's harder when they don't have a date set, you know, or... They're already living together, and that's also happened. Um, they're already they're actually physically They're living with each other, and now it's a major hassle and a big change lifestyle. You know, that I got to go. I'm supposed to go find another. I just put my faith in Christ, and
3: now I got to go find another place to live. You know, <laughs> so that gets tougher in those situations.
6: Yeah, I think that's appropriate.
3: But Jill, I like what you said because um, I think it
0: is good to let them discover it. And so I think a real practical way to do it is to say, hey, why don't we, why don't, I'm going to pick a couple of topics that are kind of typical topics for guys. Why don't we, why don't, why don't we cover a couple of those topics in the next couple of weeks? And then, you know, you can pull up the more on honoring God and, you know, the something on porn or something on um, uh, uh, giving or something on, um, you know, waiting waiting till you're married, you know, like as you prayerfully consider what, sh- what things probably are he are dealing with, yeah. um, let, let the process lead you there. Because then what happens is if you put those topics on the schedule, the Holy Sp- you can pray for them, the Holy Spirit can speak to them, they can read the scripture, they can kind of prepare for that conversation rather than just kind of being like hit with it, right? Yeah in a moment. So I think that's, a, that's, to me, that's what Gently and Humbly is, is talking about. So that's what I would encourage on this topic. Well, this is good, guys. This is a good, uh, the honoring God section, in um, that whole section, the third section there in the discipleship track is good. And remember, when you're done, when kind of once you cover topics seven, eight, and nine, um, all about honoring God, you can spend some more time in the, ex- Extending and doing, spending some more time. You might set, spend months talking about honoring God before you move on to the to that last section, which is about getting to the third leg of the circle. So keep that in mind. That even though for our purposes and for the podcast, we're going to move on next week to that last module about helping others and bringing someone else through through a discipleship track. Um, th- this second section might be a good three six months a year or two right and you might even spend more time on some of this stuff even while you move on to the to help them get discipling someone right you can kind of do both of those things simultaneously but next week we'll, we'll talk about uh that that helping others module we talk we'll talk about completing the circle and
3: uh finishing the job and making sure that the person that you're discipling becomes a disciple maker too